Welcome to another episode of My Best 11 podcast. Today, we are so, so fortunate to have our first um, celebrity guest on, who's going to be picking their best 11 from the team that they love and the team that they adore. I'm not going to go into who it is, um, but today we are very lucky to have uh, Rebecca Lowe on. How are you, Rebecca? I'm great, Andrew. Hi, Marv. Lovely to be on. <laughs> great to have you, Bex. I'm very interested to find out where this love affair with Palace has come from. So let's get straight into it, I think. Definitely, okay. definitely. So what? Um, I don't know if anybody's heard anything or heard these podcasts, those newbies to us. What we like to do is go through formation. Then we go through the teams. And as we go through, uh, Rebecca tries to give us a few clues, a few hints about players, also to check her knowledge of the players she's picked. Um, and then what we do from there is you can guess as you listen along. So we will dive straight in to, obviously, um, formation. Now, we know and those people in the UK may not know too much about um, what you're doing recently, uh, but uh, you're still um, very heavily involved in football or soccer, um, as all three of our countries like to call it. So formation-wise, what have you gone for? Okay, I just want to put a caveat out there before I even get going on this 1-11. to 11. Here we okay. go. The caveat, chaps, is that this, when I get to the 1-11, to 11, when it's my best 11, I'm very much um, highlighting the word my, because it's not the best, but it's my best 11, which I hope is my Correct. interpretation of you guys' podcast. Okay, cool. So um, in terms of formation, I've gone old school because it was the only formation that anyone played throughout the 90s, pretty much, pretty much, which is when I developed my incredible love for Crystal Palace. And so the formation I'm going for is just a very plain 4 4 Excellent. Excellent. Even like little, um, a little bit of license in there to just move a few players around so, so I can get somebody else in. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds good. We will jump straight in then. Goalkeeper. Where are we gone with the goalkeeper? So this gentleman, this player, I could have gone with Julian Speroni, who was an absolute servant to our club. And his wife, did you know, is an artist. And I've actually bought some artwork of Selhurst Park off his wife. Signed by Julian, which is amazing. Um, and they named a restaurant after Julian. And he's a, I mean, he's just a brilliant, brilliant, legendary, underrated goalkeeper. However, I went for a Cornish born, so born in Cornwall, player who had an amazing moustache and should have had more England caps and was just an all-round, never made an error. I saw him live hundreds of times. I really don't remember any errors. And you always had real faith in him, whether it was against a penalty, free kick, set piece. You just had faith that this player was going to stand strong and make some unreal saves. Did he play for Leeds as well? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Nigel, Nigel Martin. Nigel Martin, yes. Big Nigel. Big <laughs> Nigel. I mean, the guy's a legend. The tash is amazing. But I remember because I sat in the top tier of the Homesdale Road End, which was behind the goal. It was a brand new um, stand when Simon Jordan took over the club. They built the stand and they offered this amazing deal of, I think it was a six-year season ticket for about £500 which was, a, I think it was £600 actually, or £500 for six years. My dad bought two of them as an investment and it meant that we could go for six years and we had the same seat. And I distinctly remember, it was coming to the end of Nigel Martin's years, but I remember being behind him, behind the goal, and just always feeling safe. And the, but the problem was there was the likes of David Seaman, even the likes of kind of Chris Woods and those kind of players around at the time. So he never got too much of an England look in. He got a call up, but he was never England's number one, which I always thought was a crime. But he was, he's my number one. Rebecca, there's just a quick, um, why 
Palace. Oh, well, obviously, I think you'd explain it because with your dad buying the season tickets, but why football? Why not netball? And I'm not trying to be like, I mean, like sexist or anything, but why not? Like, why football? Mother, I was a very talented netball player as well. Let me just throw you on. Um, no, football, uh, the answer to that is I don't really know. My dad took me when I was, I think, nine. It was the 89-90 season. Palace were in Division One. It was the right and bright years. And he took me to a game, I think it was against Everton, in September of 89, so the beginning of that season. And I, I genuinely, I mean, dad can't really remember, and obviously I can't at all, but I, we, we think he had a spare ticket and somebody pulled out on him at the last minute. And I think my brother must have been busy. My brother was a West Ham fan, so maybe he was at West Ham. My mom was like, not interested. Um, and it was kind of just like, oh, well, I'll just take Becca, because he, he called me Becca. So I guess he just thought, well, there's nobody else, so I'll just take Becca. And we sat in the Arthur Waite stand, and Palace lost 2-1, none of which made any difference to me. I just, Mark, I just loved it. And I, I, I don't remember like consciously saying, okay, this is now my thing. I just thought it was normal to love it, right? Even though during my teenage years, so from the age of nine onwards, I was about the only one, except one other girl who in my school who loved football. I even turned up to university aged 18 on my first day, my freshest day at university, I wore my palace shirt in my very first lecture because I just had, it was just my thing. I just, I just fell in love with palace because my dad went as a child, his dad took him on the terraces um, when he was a kid. So that was always going to be the case. I was always going to be palace. It just got a hold of me and it became a kind of thing that I did with my dad every for every other weekend. And we also did an away trip every year as well, somewhere crazy like Huddersfield, Sheffield United. And we'd always go for the whole day. We had a great time together. So that was a really important part of it as well. Although again, consciously, I don't think I knew that, that that was a really important part of it. But on reflection, I had the best time. I mean, eye candy as well. I think that helped probably, did it? Boys, well, guys. I, I, as we'll come to, as we'll come to, Mark, in my one to eleven, a couple of them may have made the cut just based on their haircuts. Really? Oh, okay. 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 And do you think that your your love of Palace came from also the fact that you were doing Palace were doing really well at that time? Do you think that helped? Because kids, kids, kids tend to follow clubs that win. They're with, that's what they do. They were and they weren't. I mean, they were the essential up and down yo-yo club, right? So in 89-90, they were pretty good. They got to the cup final in 90, although they got hammered 9-0 by Liverpool earlier on that season. So we weren't that good. And then throughout the 90s, we were really like this. We were like the West Brom of today. I mean, the very fact, by the way, that Palace have been in the Premier League for seven straight seasons it, it is not, it's nothing I've experienced in my life before. So this, I'm still a little bit weirded out by the fact we haven't got relegated yet because that's all I was ever used to. Up and down, relegation, then playoff final, occasional automatic promotion. Um, so, so it never crossed my mind not to love them if they got relegated, never crossed my mind to stop following them. I actually developed a thing, as it was in the 90s, about the people that did only follow the big clubs. So all the Man United fans that lived in London, all the Liverpool fans, all the Ars- I, I, I that never turned me on. I was always an underdog person. I still am to this day, nothing better than an underdog story. And Palace on the whole were underdogs. And when they weren't underdogs, on the occasional season, they won the league or won the playoff final and we did really well. That was like a joy that I genuinely don't think that other football fans who support the Man Cities and the Chelsea's ever really experienced. Because if you always experience it that high, True. It's never as special. I mean, some of the days, I was thinking back after I, I knew what you were going to ask me. And honestly, some of the days with Palace have been the best of my life. Excellent. Oh, okay. So let's go defence. Right back. Okay, so right <laughs> So this is where we what? might hit, uh, This is where we might hit, um, when I say my 11, um, we might hit 
with somebody who's made the best 11 who wasn't a, a, a superb footballer but had an incredibly um great haircut very 90s boy band haircut. Um, he was also can i just say marvin he was also 10 years ahead of his time he was a right back who just flew down the wing i mean he was basically trent alexander arnold i mean he was just he was in his and his brown curtains in 1996 was waving in the wind as he just hurtled down that right wing, put some whips and brilliant crosses in, played for Norwich, Derby, a few others after that. He is, I'm not sure you're going to get him because I had a major crush on him. Later on, I actually interviewed him for Match of the Day, which was highly awkward. Um, but, really? Uh, what yeah. club was he at then? What club was he at then? Norwich in about 2002. And I did a piece with Darren Huckabee and him for Match of the Day about healthy eating. And I quickly realised I actually didn't have a crush on him. But the 90s were spent watching him down that right wing. Just uh, He had pace. He just went for, right to the byline to cross it in. And he was a wing back before really wing backs were I, was gonna, I mean, I was going to say, but I don't think he was at Norwich, John Pemberton. No, I mean, Pembo, I mean, led, right? FA Cup semi-final yeah. 1990, you know, huge fan Andrew? of Pembo. Andrew, no, I, I should have got my sticker album. No, um, oh, I oh, um, Ian Culverhouse. No, oh. no, I don't, I never saw him play for Palace, no. This is oh, a, yeah. I don't think you're going to get Norwich, Norwich, go on, no, wait, go on, go on. You want to hear it? Yeah. Mark Edworthy. Mark Edworthy. I know the name. Yeah, the name. Yep, yeah. Not a superstar, but my superstar. No, no, but he. I mean, he played. He had a career. He had a career in the game. Vex. Greece announced as a um, Derby ambassador a few weeks ago, I think. So yeah, Mark Edworthy is in at right back. Okay. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And the other side. Who have you gone for a bomber on the other side? So a... I re very oh, closely almost went for Ashley Cole. Because he was on loan at Palace. Nobody That's really knows that. Obviously, I think Palace should take the credit for creating the player um, that he became. And he, I have to say, in all seriousness, he was on another level. And watching Ashley Cole play, I, you felt honoured that he was playing for your team. He was so good, so talented. Um, but I didn't go for him because you can't go for loan players. I didn't. So I've gone for a player who had an incredible left foot, who was insane at set pieces, who was kind of small, stocky, brilliant athleticism, um, very, very consistent. Uh, I want to say he might have had one England call-up, but again, I don't think he ever played for England, but I might be wrong. Um, he went on to play for... Where was I where I saw him? Derby? Yeah, I think he went to Derby. I think he also went Middlesbrough. Hmm. I didn't actually know. He might not have gone for Middlesbrough. I'll have to have a look while I'm talking to you. Go on, who do you think? <laughs> um, did he go for Derby? Did he play for Derby as well? I think he might have done. I should have come with all this information to help oh, give you clues. No, but no, no. Um, he played. No, it's not who I think it is. He didn't play for South End either, did he? he? No, he started at Palace Academy product. Went to Middlesbrough. Um, other places he played for, like Coventry, Grimsby. Went to New Zealand. He played it for a lot of teams towards the end of his career. But the main two hundred appearances for Palace between ninety one and ninety eight. And in terms of international call-up, he played 13 times for the England under-21s. Oh, no, not, no. Um, Coaches in, in Sunderland now. Coaches at Sunderland. Not Warhurst, is it Warhurst? No. I haven't got you, it then. No. Are you ready? No. Yeah. Go on. Dean Gordon. Dean Gordon. Of course, what a player! Yes. Do you, know, do, do you know who I was thinking of? And I was, I was thinking of, um, oh my gosh. What's his name? Pauli. Pauli. Was he at Palace? Chris Powell? Yeah, Powell. He, was, he was at Palace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for That's what I was thinking. Yeah, before. Yeah. 
So yeah, Dean Gordon. I remember Dean Gordon. Yeah, yeah, he did have a bit of a left foot, didn't he? A rocket on the left foot, to be fair. Rocket, set piece, city. Yeah, Dean Gordon. Awesome, awesome. So centre backs, let's go. Let's keep going. Onto the all right. So centre back, um, which I just—I mean, first name that came into my mind. He used to wear. You've got to know this. He used to wear a brown headband. He was super tall. Played for Wimbledon as well. You know him already, Mark. He, they called him the Ninja. He was. He was no nonsense. Don't mess with him. Doesn't really speak to anybody. No one knows where he is now. Ledge. No one knows where he is. Eric Young. Yes. <laughs> no one knows where. Is that the truth? No one knows where he is now. I, I mean, I looked him. No one knows where he is. But like, he's one of those players that you know how some players disappear off the face of the planet after they finish playing. Yeah. And I think I, I, know, I never saw him in a media. Like he just was Eric Young. Did his job. Retired. Went off. Not bothered. Amazing. <laughs> so you said you interviewed um, Ed Worthy. You sound like you love Eric Young. Did you ever interview Eric? Or no one. He didn't talk to no one. Or you he say didn't talk to no one. You said. He didn't talk to anyone. No. I mean, by the way, he's he's sixty now. So that's this. This is actually aging me quite significantly, which is a little bit upsetting. But no, I never did because he finished playing in '95, Andrew, and I was only fourteen. So I only managed. And like, when I went back to some old Palace, there was some old like um, Jeff Thomas had a charity game against Man United, and there were some old players that went back for that. But I don't remember Eric going back for that. I feel like Eric just moved on, just just mysterious, the ninja, just gone. Just gone. But what a player! What a player! Towering centre half, whacking his head into everything. Incredible. Played so just Wales. going into and Wales, he did play for Wales. Just so just going into your um, your career and your industry. How did you get first into, involved into mm. reporting on these games? And was, was it the back of a? You told me this story actually. I remember. Was it the back of a a, a, a cereal box? Was it or something like yeah. that? Go on, go on, yeah, tell him. Yeah, I'm the cornflakes girl. Um, it was, it was a competition. The BBC ran a competition looking for new talent across everything from radio producer to football reporter to weather girl to all sorts of things. And I was literally graduating from university in 2002 at the same time as they were running this competition. And long story short, I applied for a few of them. I wanted to be an actress. That was the big aim. That's what I trained to do. That's my dream forever. Never crossed my mind to be a journalist, despite the fact that my dad was, my brother was, my stepdad was, my stepsister was, like everybody was journalists, not me. I didn't want to be a journalist. I applied for all these different ones, including sitcom actress and football reporter, because my friend said to me, well, you love football like no one else does, like no other girls do, but why don't you apply? And when someone sets me a challenge, chaps, I, I can't say no, I just can't, I have to do it. And then when I do something, I have to do it all in. My grandpa used to say, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing well, which I try to live by. It's hard sometimes, but I try to live by that. So I applied for this. It was a lot of work to apply for this huge competition. And I knew that this prize was a six month contract on football focus, match of the day and final score as a reporter. I got basically, I got through every round. I kept forgetting I'd applied for it because in the meantime, I graduated. I was working at Talk Sport Radio, answering the phones just because a friend of mine worked there. So I managed to earn some money while I was waiting to be a famous actress. And I would keep getting letters through the door saying you're through to the next round. I thought, what? Oh, God, yeah, I forgot about that. And I kept getting through and I finally got to the final five, six months later and I had to go to BBC Television Centre, watch Ray Stubbs present Football Focus, which weirdly enough, 10 years later, Stubbsy and I would be co-presenters on our own show together. How weird is that? And do a few other bits and pieces for the BBC. And there was about seven of us down to the final seven of this competition. And I remember leaving always remember this, it was dark, it was October. I walked out of television center at the end of the day, this final, and it was all lit up. Remember how it was all lit up with all the yeah. BBC TV center? 
And I hadn't really wanted it up until that moment. And for some reason, I looked at this TV center, which obviously isn't there anymore so much, it's flats, I think. And I thought, I really want this. Oh no, I really want this. Because when I, I didn't want to let myself really want it in case I didn't get it, but I thought I'd done okay. And I really wanted it. And I got on the tube, went home to my mum, And two days later, the phone rang and it was a life-changing axis moving moment, which if you're ever lucky enough to have one of those is incredibly memorable. My mum and I were literally having the conversation that the next day I was going to get the call to say whether or not I'd won. And I said, well, it's a one in seven chance. And as we were having this conversation, the phone rang and it was Lance Hardy, the assistant editor of Football Focus. And he said, you've won. And that was one of those, right, okay. Wow, <laughs> what the hell's going on? I was supposed to be an actress. And instead, I obviously took the six month contract. And then back in those days, it was very well paid indeed, by the way. And I, I, the whole thing was very overwhelming. Six months into the job, I, I then just went freelance and stayed in the industry. I never even, because once you've got a foot in these kind of doors, you can't turn around, you can't turn back, you wouldn't leave it. Um, I wasn't very good. I don't think I was very good at all. And that was a struggle. And I wonder now why I didn't leave and do something else and try to be an actress, because I really wasn't very you good. You must but have been pretty good, Bex. Come on, they wouldn't have kept you otherwise. They would never have you, kept you. you. you I, I guess so. But when I look back at my showreel that I made in 2003, 2004, I, oh God, it was not good. But, you know, I suppose I was only 21. I was young. Maybe they saw work ethic. Maybe they saw, I don't know, maybe they saw some, a few people saw something. So I was really grateful. So that's how I got involved. That's how I got into my career. It's kind of weird. Excellent. No, it's really great. It's great for inspirational for others um, and also for uh, particularly um, for females as well coming into the game as well. It, it's and also, really Andrew, great. I think that it's important that so I'm sure lots of young people will be listening to this. As I did, I had my heart set on being an actress and thought nothing would get in my way. Uh, and my life has not turned out in lots of ways, but my life has not turned out the way I thought it would. And I think that's really important to know that you could have your heart set on something and go for it. But also be aware and be open to things changing because when they change, it's not always for the worst. It's actually sometimes taking you where you should be. There's no doubt in my mind that I'm where I should be. Yeah. And what a plan B. <laughs> not bad. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So move to the other centre back. Who's playing next to Eric? All right. So this is where I've slightly moved the goalpost, excuse the pun. Um, he played in midfield mainly for Palace, but at his other club, he played in centre half role. Um, a lot more and he had did play in centre-back role for Palace I saw him a lot I watched him a lot my dad predicted he would be an England captain one day he was wrong but he wasn't that wrong because he is very into England right now got it <laughs> and you got it no no okay so he he had never taken a penalty for Crystal Palace ever right yeah. he stepped up for England and takes a penalty at Euro 96 and misses. And it. I think it personally... Why did it take you so long to work that out? <laughs> I, I when you said about the midfield, I thought I knew it straight away. I thought, because I'm, I'm now thinking of the era. Well, I, I mean, that's what's coming into my head. Yeah, I, so it's all, I had Chris Coleman in my head. No, oh, no I, was, I had Chris Coleman and then I decided... Uh, Chris Coleman was, was my number two, but I moved him out so I could put this person into the back so I could get somebody else in midfield. So that's why I've gone for this guy. And, and at Middlesbrough, to be fair, he plays centre-back. Yep. Gareth yep. Southgate, yes. Yep. Gareth. And, and my dad said to me, I remember we were sitting in the Arthur Waite and he said he'll captain England one day. And like I say, he didn't captain England, but my goodness, he's not done bad, has he, for England? No, he's and done very well. A nicer man you would you could never, ever, ever wish to meet. I mean, the guy, the guy is an ambassador. I, I, I won't have a bad word said about him, except for the semi-final in 2018, where I think he made a few errors. But other than that, um, he is uh, somebody who represents this country perfect, perfectly. And you interviewed him? 
Yes, I have interviewed him. I've interviewed right. him when he wrote a book about his days at, um, with Andy Woodman, his best friend, the old goalkeeper at Palace. I've interviewed him a yeah. few times. Yeah, he's such a nice guy. I love him. And is, I mean, I've seen a, a few um, reels. Is he up there with Sir Alex or is Sir Alex just way out in front of everyone else? In terms of interviews? Yes. Oh, so oh so, well, if, you, if you'd if you asked me a few years ago, maybe eight or nine, ten years ago, who I'd rather interview, I'd have said Gareth Southgate because Sir Alex Ferguson would, would I mean, I tell this story a lot, Mark, but when I very first was waiting in the tunnel at Old Trafford in 2009, when I just got the job with ESPN as the sideline reporter for the Premier League, and I was waiting to do my pre-match interview with Sir Alex, and I'd never interviewed before, I don't think he'd ever heard of me. I saw him, remember, you know, at Old Trafford, there's a corridor off the tunnel, the corridor down to the dressing rooms? Yeah. And I'm waiting at the end of the corridor in front of the advertising hoardings. And I see Di uh, Diane, uh, I think it was Diana Law, who Dennis Law's daughter, who was the press officer at the time, come out. I thought, oh God. And she followed him. He followed her, sorry. And he walked down towards me. And I could see he looked at me. And I thought, I, 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 my knees, with uh, no word of a lie, were starting to knock together. I've never, ever had knocking knees before. I was so terrified. And by the way, he did not let me down for... Two out of the four years that I interviewed him virtually every other week, he was terrifying and at times kind of mean um, and difficult and abrupt and all of the above until he found out that I was engaged to a football manager. We were in the, we were in the tunnel at um, the Reebok Stadium. It was Bolton against Man United. And there was a little room where I was waiting to do my interviews with him. And I'd done the interview, I think, and he'd gone. And he was still a bit abrasive. And then he come, came back in because he was watching the score's coming in because we had a little TV with um, a Soccer Saturday on. And uh, Paul was manager of, I think, Bristol Rovers at the time. And it came up that Rovers were 1-0 down. And it was a, not a good time at Bristol Rovers anyway. So it was a difficult time all round. And I just went, oh, and I couldn't help myself because even though Sir Alex was standing there, he wasn't talking to me. We were both just watching. I went, oh, like that. And he said, he looked at me and he said, um, is that your team? I said, no, it's my fiance's team. It's the manager of Bristol Rovers. And I tell you, he changed. I think it was a combination of yeah, and I think it was a combination of respect. He understood that I yeah. was with somebody who knew what, who was in the game and who was like him. I think it was also a combination of two years of hard work of trying to be fair. I did try to give him fair questions. I was always, I tried to do my job with integrity and I think he did respect that. He just didn't allow himself to fully respect it until the moment he realised that I was actually living the life of a manager's wife and Lady Cathy had lived it for years and he knew probably what she was going through and he was you know, winning most weeks. So he, and he knew everything about every team, by the way. So he knew who Paul was. Um, he knew about Russell Rovers. He knew the tough times. And he said to me, hang in there. And from that moment on for two years, we had nothing but a wonderful relationship. And actually I'm, I, I try and move my computer so you can see, but up there is a letter from him and a photo of him with my dad and Paul when he came over to promote his book in New York City a few years ago. I was pregnant with my little boy and he requested that I interview him and I did a book tour for him um because he knew i was over here and um he wrote me a really lovely letter afterwards which came out that's, that's so lovely to wow. have he requested you he requested you to interview him that's brilliant I, I i mean it really is and i and i just i i really put it down to never trying to catch somebody out i never tried to catch him out i tried to be fair tried to ask the hard questions but also you know just be respectful of him um so hopefully, you know, that's, that worked. And, and it's a shame I haven't seen him, you know, obviously for a few years. Paul actually went to see him when he went over to the UK on a trip, a manager of Sacramento Republic and went to his offices in Manchester and sat with him for an hour. And Fergie gave him, you know, Fantastic. an hour of time. Amazing, amazing, amazing man. He is... 
far and away for me the number one, yeah. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. So what we can do is we're going to pause there for a quick break from our sponsors, um, and we'll be back to hear the rest of Rebecca Lowe's uh, My Best 11. Thank you for listening to My Best 11 Pod. We are currently accepting applications for advertisement and sponsorships. You can reach us at mybestlivingpod or mybestlivingpod at gmail.com. Thank you. Great, so we're back for part two of Rebecca Lowe's My Best 11. We'll keep going through. Um, she's gone for a 4-4-2, so we're now hitting the midfield and she's managed to squeeze the midfielder into centre-back. Um, and we'll go see how she did here. She's going for attacking flair. Are you more of an attacking player um, person, sorry? Or are you more of a defensive person? What would you say you are? I'd probably say with this this four that I've got in midfield, it's fairly, it's fairly attacking. There's definitely some flair involved. Again, I've slightly moved the goalposts and, and sort of pushed a central midfielder out to right midfield because I had to get him in the team. But I also had to get the other two central midfielders in. So And the left wing looks after itself. So that's how I line up. So it's pretty, it's, it's flair. It's flair. But with some good solid stability too. Well, it's 90s footballers, a lot of them. So they're always going to be a bit harder than the players either. <laughs> so go on to centre-back. Let's, let's, sorry, centre-back. No, centre-field. Centre-field, sorry. Don't want to say centre-back. It's too early for you, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in the running for this position was Johnny Williams, or Joni Esther, as the Palace fans used to call him. He was a player who went on to Charlton. I'm not sure where he is now. Um, he... I think he was at Sunderland as well. He's actually in the Sunderland documentary. Johnny Williams, about five foot four, blonde, a fantastically natural, talented midfielder. So injury prone. I mean, terribly, terribly injury prone. And for that reason, I couldn't put him in because he didn't play enough. But when he did play, he was magic. And I think that he had an incredible future, which hasn't come to pass, unfortunately. So he was my runner up. But in his place is um, a man that I, I, I got to know very well and helped him with his charity. And I was there when he went up to lift the Zenith Data Systems Cup in 1994 at the old Wembley Stadium when Palace smashed Everton 4-1. He lifted that trophy. Um, he is a great human being um, and a very, very, very accomplished player, except for one attempt at goal for England, which was he became famous when he attempted to score for England and it basically hit. Oh, <laughs> Jeff Thomas? Yes! Jeff Thomas. Jeff Thomas. What a guy. Did he try to chip him? Or does he try to chip? Was it a chip? Was that was, the corner flag? It was something. And it, it, it just didn't. It and was. it was so unfair because we didn't have a lot of Palace players that played for England. And then he just typical, you know, Southgate misses a penalty. Jeff Thomas hits the corner flag. But um, when Jeff went up to lift the ZDS Cup, which we used to sing, um, that was a special moment. He, of course, was a big part in, the, in 1990. I mean, he just, it, he was a steady Eddie, talented. If he played well, we played well. Um, he later got sick and had leukemia and I did a lot of features on Football Focus with him. I, he was training for the Tour de France and me and him got on a bike and we're cycling around Birmingham and we were filming this feature and I was at his um, charity fundraiser at Selhurst Park, which Sir Alex Ferguson came to. It was a rerun of the 1990 FA Cup final and um, all the big names, like, you know, all the players from both of those teams were there to raise money for Jeff and he's come through it and he's done brilliant. He's raised tons of money um, and he keeps doing incredible things to raise more money for leukemia research um, and he's, he's one of life's good guys and a very talented player. And for me, he epitomised my time in the 90s as a Palace fan. Excellent. Oh, very true. And great, some great causes, some great causes. So who's next to him? Okay. Again, 
We this has got a touch of the Mark Edworthies about it. This was my probably my number one. Well, my my first Palace crush was Alan Pardew. I mean, if you just Google him from 1991, you'll see why. But if you were talking about my biggest Palace crush, my most favourite player who I chased in the Villa Park car park. Uh, I was having a picnic, a pre-FA Cup semi-final. Remember those days when they played the FA Cup semi-final yeah. around Palace Man United, FA Cup semi-final 94, I think it was. Might be wrong, might be 95. Um, and I was in the car park with my dad and all of our, all of my dad's friends were all Palace fans and we were all having our pre-match picnic in the car park because there's nowhere else to go at Villa Park. And this particular player had broken his leg or done something and was on crutches. And I saw him arrive in the distance and I said, oh my God, there, oh my God, there he is. And bearing in mind, I was on my pencil cases, on my wall, on my top of my ceiling as I got into bed. This guy was, this guy was there, this was. And I said, I need to get his autograph long before smartphones. And the only thing anybody had was a wine bottle, an empty wine bottle. <laughs> my dad and his mates were getting, you know, happy ahead of the game. So there I was, grabbed the wine bottle with one of my dad's friends. She and I ran with a wine bottle and a pen all the way to the end of the car park. I was out of breath and slightly overwhelmed. He signed it for me. I, I, I was just, this was the greatest day ever. I kept the wine bottle in my wardrobe at home until my mum's cleaning lady thought it was rubbish. Oh yeah, oh. I got rid of it. So would you believe a few years ago, the Men in Blazers, who are a big, big podcast over in the US, Michael Davis and Roger Bennett, a couple of English guys who run a, a soccer podcast. I told this story to them. They got hold of this player and he signed a bottle of, wine and it was sent to me and I now have still have my signed bottle um and he had blonde hair curtains quite small very busy in midfield not the most talented never, never it sounds like it sounds like bucks <laughs> he does do you know what he's very similar to my husband in lots of ways like the way he looked and like absolutely like number eight just like although I didn't call it was number seven but just like really like industrious and really put a shift in, steady Eddie with a with a decent strike on him. Any any idea? Still have a, I still have it. Did he go? In, where else did he go? Did he go anywhere else? I mean nowhere. I mean, I mean, I want to say he came from Bognor Regis. Um, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get it. You, I, I think. Oh, I mean, you'll know him when I tell you him. But he was. Inc I mean, he, he, he for anybody else, he's the most kind of inconsequential footballer. For me, he was my entire nineties. The only blonde I curtains person I've got, but I don't well, think he, ever, he would never play for you. Something like Stuart Nethercott, but I don't think he ever played for you, did he? No, so they, no, he didn't. No, 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 we never had Nethercott. This guy started at Bognor Regis Town, went to Palace from ninety to two thousand and two, so 12, 12 oh. years, two hundred and seventy six okay. appearances for Palace. He went on loan to Man City, bizarrely, in ninety six, Stoke in ninety seven for a few appearances, and then ended his career woking, and then a few a few appearances at Brighton, and he, I think he's now a chauffeur. 200 and odd appearances for Palace, he had. 200 odd. 276, Marv. I mean, he was, he was a, to say he was a legend is an understatement. Oh, oh, no. Was he, was he, was he, was he, was he, was he um, a centre up? No, no, you said small, wasn't you? You said small. Quite small. And he, and he had a nickname. They, they called him, his nickname was Jolly. I'm not going to, I've got this blank. Right. Go on. The player like in question is Simon Jolly Roger. Simon Roger. Do you remember Just Simon, Simon Roger? Roger? Yes, I do now. Simon Roger, mate. Long curtains. Yeah. The best. Simon, Simon Roger. 
Again, very much my best eleven, not the. I know, best yeah, <laughs> but but I did I did think for the split second there that it sounded like Bucks. You described him Bucks there, little small, little running around. <laughs> Boy band, yeah. earring, Louis Vuitton bag. Funny, right, Simon <laughs> Roger. Yeah, I remember him. I remember him. Yeah. So let's move on to the wings. Let's go. Let's see where we are. You described your, your love and then. Okay. So we'll start with left wing, shall we? Yeah. Yep. Not hard at all. No. Top five best players to ever play for Crystal Palace is playing right now. Although it's tested positive for COVID, so couldn't play at the weekend. Um, the player who is Palace through and through, although he left, but came back. Um, just, to, just, to, just magic at his feet, magic in his toes, loves the game, loves the club, loves the area, has given a huge amount back, continues to give a huge amount back. Uh, yes, he moans a bit. Yes, he kind of gets hacked down a bit. And yes, sometimes he's a bit moody. And he puts um, a transfer request in every, every summer. Maybe he does do that too. But, you know, <laughs> other than that, I think his loyalty is unquestioned. Um, and... Uh, I, I would like him to finish his career at Palace. I mean, he is, I think, 28. So, as you both know, I'm talking about Wilfred Zaha. Yeah. 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 He's, is he 28 now? He's 28. And I, and I, which, wow. is, which is now a point to which I believe he, he's probably gone past the moment of leaving. I know he still probably doesn't believe that. I didn't hear anyone say that. But I believe he kind of, yeah, he's 28. He just turned 28 day before my birthday. Yeah. So, he's, you know, he's peak. But I just don't know if we're seeing... You know, he's been in decent form. He's not been amazing. Um, I'm not sure he's anyone's in January. How long was he at United for? It was very oh, short. All of a year. I mean, he was there. He was Ferguson's last uh, acquisition. And then he went out on loan to Cardiff. And then he came back on loan to Palace, maybe a year or two. Um, and then, it, you know, it went wrong with David Moore. He's just unlucky that he went that year. If he'd gone a year before, before Fergie left in 2013, if he'd gone in 2012... Um, right. I think it could have been so different because he could have had a year under Fergie to establish himself. He's just not really a United player. I mean, he is and he isn't. I mean, he's he's not like Giggs. I don't know. He, I was so happy for him and I, we were all so happy for him, but then obviously we were happier that he came home. But actually, I would have loved him to have been, you know, there's nothing better if you're a Palace fan than a player leaving and going on to great things because mm. you feel like your, your club played a part in that and he deserved it. And and he is, he is a superbly gifted player player i mean some of the things he can do is insane and some of the things i'm told he does in training is even more insane you think bex that the potential what he had in the, in the player he was at palace he was a creative player a flair player and he's gone to united now and it's probably he's not hit the ground running they're probably thinking mm, waste of money or so there's, there's a lot more expectation on someone like him rather than a defender if they're sort of a defender from palace if that makes sense sort of thing Makes total sense, Marv. I also think that he was young. I think he was, what, 24-ish and he bought a Ferrari in the first week and didn't, didn't sort of shy away from that being public. It's just not ideal. It's a bit Memphis Depay about it. It's just not ideal. You know, the, this is where advisors need to come in and, right, you go to Man United, you're 24. Everything you do, let's do behind closed doors. Let's just, let's just look like... A bit like Daniel James, right? He went to Man United really young. All you know about Daniel James is he's pretty good. He could be better, but he's pretty good. And he... You don't ever hear about Daniel James off the field. Now, I think Zaha's a better player, but James has been exemplary in his professionalism and the way he's dug in and done everything needed. And I think he could have, Zaha could have been advised better because the expectations were super high. Um, and I don't think he set himself up brilliantly for that. 
But you know, I also think he probably got a bit a bit un- it was just a bit unfair. I think he I think he wasn't really given a chance and Moyes was it was a mess under Moyes. That was just poor timing. He's not really a David Moyes player. No, I mean, could you get less of a David Moyes player? And that that's I think what he I think I'm right saying he might have mentioned that at one point in an interview of kind of Fergie bought him in the January of twenty thirteen. I wanna say he might have even loaned him straight back out. I can't remember. But um he bought him and you sort of I think I think Zaha's even said occasionally like like why why did Moyes come to Miami? You know, I don't remember any players playing for Moyes like Wilfred Zaha. Yeah, he's got a left back on left midfield, hasn't he? So that's who he's got playing from right hand side. So this player is not a right hand winger. He's not a right winger. He's he's a midfielder. Yeah, midfielder. Yeah, but he's a player. I mean, you're going to get him almost immediately when I start giving the clues. He came to Palace, and it was one of those pinch yourself moments. There were two of them who came from it: Michele Padovano or Michelle Padovano, who was, yep. and this other player. And we had a great song for him. And he he did things on a pitch I'd yet to see in live football. Um, I'd never seen Gaza play live. So he was he was the only other player that people used to talk about when you see him live. Some of the things that Gaza used to do were, was phenomenal. Some of the things this guy used to do, even though he was coming to his career, was amazing. And he was the result of Mark Goldberg, I think it was, taking over the club. I think it, that was when it was. And he just wanted to splash the cash and he brought and make a name for himself. Obviously, he went bust and Palace went bust. But this player came in. He was silky. He was smooth. He was classy. And he was as good as we had hoped he would be, if not better. We knew he was brilliant from his from his time in Italy. But I can't think of it. Was was he as good a manager as he was a player? Because he took (laughs) over manager for a while, didn't he? He did take over manager for a while. And he wasn't great. Um, Got no hair, but we don't care. He played for Sampdoria, Marv. Yeah, but I, I was thinking of like there's two you signed, wasn't there? Two Papano. players from Italy. Yeah, Michel Lombardo. Lombardo. Yeah, that's it. Italio Lombardo. He's got no hair, but we don't care. I thought yeah. I thought I never knew he was a central midfielder. I thought he was a winger. I thought he was a winger anyway. No, well, I don't remember him as a winger for Palace. He was always in the middle of the field. Maybe because he was coming towards the end of his career when he was at Palace. He was a bit older. I don't think he was, certainly wasn't hurtling down the wing. I just remember him like running the game. From the middle, just running. So getting back to my last question, you kind of avoided. <laughs> was he as good a man- Was he as good a manager as a player? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, no. We just, but every, no one cared because he's like the nicest <laughs> man ever, and he wanted to be Palace manager. And we were like, sure, no problem. <laughs> but, I don't seem to remember he did very well. My memory's not great at those times. It wasn't for very long, um, and it was a bit of a stopgap. No, I don't think. He- what a player, though. What a player. I think him being manager of Palace is almost as weird. The weirdest one I've ever seen is Edgar Davids being manager of Barnet. I still reckon, and I've seen Edgar Davids down there. It, it's weird. Very he weird. He played what? Palace, actually, for a while, Edgar Davids. Um, he was rubbish when he came to us. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. That was... that was I, Gaza being manager of um, Boston United. I went to interview Paul Gascoigne after he was manager of Boston United, and that was very weird. I was like, this is insane. He was like, yeah, loving Boston. I'm like... Oh, <laughs> but by the way, interviewing Paul Gascoigne, uh, massive tick on my bucket list. True. What's the last? What's the next? What's your next tick on the bucket list then? Wouldn't mind yeah. interviewing David Beckham at some point. I've been in press conference, but Bex meets Bex. I mean, it's got a TV show on Netflix all written all over it. <laughs> I mean, hello. That's got a great ring to it. You're right. Bex meets Bex. Right? I know. How has this not happened? Um, exactly. So one day, one day. Would Stubbsy Paul age rank on you? <laughs> well, I'm not with Stubbsy anymore. That's all right. Stubbsy back in the day would definitely have done that and experience and age and all the above. But no, luckily now I'm I'm a, I'm by myself in my company. There isn't there isn't anyone 
sort of older than me. I'm getting old now, Andrew. So I think I'd get a decent chance at it if we were ever offered it. And of course, he's in Miami a lot, and you never know. Bex meets Bex is on the horizon. I like the ring of that. Bex meets hey. Bex. Excellent. So we'll go to centre forwards. And I'm assuming most Palace fans will get these two straight away and most non-fans will get these straight away, unless you've gone for a curveball. So I thought about curveballs and I thought about Dougie Freeman walking in a Freeman wonderland. There's only one Dougie because he was just fabulous and we kept up. We, we think we stayed up in the championship or the Ensley League Division One, I, I think as it was then, because of a goal against Port Vale, I think it was. I was in a pub at university and went crazy. So thank you to Dougie Freeman for that. He's director of football, though, at the moment at Palace. Um, Chris Armstrong, I thought about, who was just class, went to Tottenham, didn't really do it, but my God, he was prolific and brilliant to watch, could score every kind of goal. AJ, Andrew Johnson, who had a yeah. ridiculous goal-scoring record. It's like one in two. He's now Palace ambassador. We loved him. He was our real kind of Premier League player, went on to Everton for like 10 million, did quite well. Um, Matt Janssen, who I really was sad when he had the motorbike accident yeah. because he was going places at Blackburn. He was also an incredibly nice man and just a nice all-round player and so gifted, so talented, so special. Loved watching him play. But how on earth can you not go for these two? That's yeah. all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. And by the way, one of these is a great friend of mine who, who recently gave me a, a birthday message, which... Even to this day, we joke with him because he thinks he's my, he's my seventh favourite Crystal Palace player. And he's probably right. And the other one of this, I actually did a corporate gig with the other week. Um, and even though he is as big, as famous and wonderful as he is, he is literally the same person 24-7, no matter what this guy. And I, I think he's a national treasure. Um, and I, I couldn't love both of them more. I really, really could have. Who are they? Right and right. Yeah, you want a TV show name. There's your TV show name as well. Bex and Bex, yeah. right and bright. Yeah. There you go. I, I mean, just, just I'm, I'm honoured that growing up and I had them all on my wall and obviously the 1990 FA Cup semi-final was the one and then the, the cup final when Wright came off the bench. And they played such a huge role in me loving the game. And when I remember when I very first turned up at the 2002, it was my first day at work and Brighty was working for the Beeb. And he walked into the Football Focus office. And I mean, I, I joke with him now, like I say, about him being my seventh favourite, but my jaw just dropped because Mark Bright. And I'd never met Mark Bright. And I, and I was probably a complete embarrassment. And he laughs about it now. Um, but he is, he's a superb, a great, great player. And of course, being in the shadow of Ian Wright with the number of goals Wright he scored and Wright he went on to Arsenal, Mark doesn't always get that credit. But I'm so glad then their names rhyme because that at least yeah. he can get into the Wrighty situation and they can always be together as a partnership because and Wrighty will tell you without Brighty, there wasn't as big a Wrighty and it's true. And they both had an incredible record, both excellent players. And, and Brighty went on to do great things at Sheffield Wednesday as well. He's written a brilliant book. And I just, I just love both of them. They, they represent everything that's good about the game and good about Palace. They, they, they both terrorised me as a young player at Luton. And I remember going to Sales Park and the both of them playing. I, I, and it was it was daunting because I, I just knew I was going to have, a, I mean, not just one of them, you had two of them. And as you know, Ian's not the quietest person and he's always running his mouth off. And uh, and in the end, I was very fortunate because obviously through Mitchell Thomas to get to know Wrighty quite well because Mitchell and him are very, very close friends. And so over the years, as I was sort of like developing. We used to play the odd game of tennis, as I'm, I'm, and I do with your husband, Paul, every now and then when I play, because he was a big tennis fan, righty. And I'll never forget 
that we um, well, went over to London, Mitchell and I, and, and, and Brighty was there as well. So Brighty would play Mitchell and I'd play Righty. And so we'd play, the winners will play, play in the final sort of thing. <laughs> I think, like, I, could, I shouldn't laugh because we're in a, um, David Lloyd and it's a case where we're playing and then obviously Ian Wright's at Arsenal now and fans are starting to see him and sort of thing. And I'm winning. I'm, and I'm... <laughs> And I'm battering him, and he's like, next thing, like, we've sort of like changing ends for the for the, for the new game, and the supporters come up and go, I can have a, do you not see I'm playing tennis, man? I'm like, and he goes, sorry, 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 sorry. He's, he's going, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm just, I was in the moment, sorry, sorry, sorry. He goes, yes, of course, I'll sign it here. I'll sign it here. I'll sign it here. But like, he goes, come on, Marv, man, come on. Let's go, let's go play, man, come on. <laughs> He's such a great character. But he's so competitive. He's so competitive. So competitive. It was just like running around trying to get every point. And at the time, I was I was better than him, slightly, mind you, slightly. But he was just so competitive. And I just loved that about him. Just so competitive. And the other great thing about Ian Wright is, is the journey. I mean, obviously, we know he came yeah. into football late from the, from the parks of South London, essentially. But if you listen to Desert Island Disc, which is the famous Radio 4, um, been going for decades, um, sort of um, radio programme where they go through some of your favourite songs and then you kind of have a life, a life conversation in between it. You'll learn about his, his upbringing, um, his time in jail, his how he almost missed out on a football career. And then of course, throughout his time at Arsenal, breaking all the record, he came along and you'll learn this human being is so special and so real and um, so competitive. And, and I, I just, he's just a national treasure. He really yeah, is. He is. No, he is. You're right. If anybody gets a chart over his book, it's fantastic. Great read. So you've got right and bright up front. Who will lead, who's your, fa- yes. I say, who will lead this band of merry men? Manager. But then at the same time, who's your, who's your favorite manager? Um, I'm assuming Lombardo's not in there. So who's it going to be? Lombardo's not in there. Um, we've had some good ones. We've had some terrible ones. We've had some good ones. Um, and I I, did, I thought about Terry Venables, even though he didn't do great things for Palace. I just, I, it came after Euro 96 and there was still so much love for Terry Venables after Euro 96. So I struggled with that because he didn't do great things for Palace. He didn't behave brilliantly, but I just, L tells the ledge. And what he did at Euro 96 was probably the, the best summer of my life up until I was an adult, the greatest thing ever. So I always had love for him. Um, we've had the good guys, Alan Smith and Peter Taylor and lots of like good, good managers and good people. Um, Roy Hodgson's a great person, but this manager was so good. I named my goldfish after him. Um, he oh. managed Palace. <laughs> he managed Palace on two occasions, Stevie Koppel. And um, very, not, not how you would expect him to be when you meet him, really quiet. Um, quite introverted, but the 1990 FA Cup semi-final was lime in the sand for me in terms of, I already was a Palace fan, but a level of fandom yet seen. And it was Stevie Koppel with his Palace jacket on on the side of the pitch at Villa Park, which really, really brings back huge emotions. So Stevie Koppel is the man to lead us all the way, all the way. Excellent. So looking at this team you've got here, um, if this were today's Premier League, how far do you think you'd go up the table? What, with right and bright? I mean, first of all, no one plays 4-4-2, so we'd have loads of goals because, I mean, I think we, I mean, looking at it, it's not a bad team. Might be a, a little bit weak at right back, touch weak in central midfield, but I, I'm saying we are Europa League. We are sixth place. Right and bright could arguably take you into the Champions yeah. League between 
in, in, and we, we were second, I want to say. We were second on, with Right and Bright at one point, like 1991, I think it was, or 92. Um, and we would have qualified for Europe, but there was the whole Liverpool ban, and then they got back in and everything. So um, we never made it. So I, I definitely top six, 100% top six. Simon Roger might get subbed a few times, but other than that. <laughs> yeah, a few times. <laughs> rotating door, rotating door for, for Jolly Roger. Okay, okay. He's got great hair. Okay, so, I mean, we always try and end up with um, your most favourite Palace game and why. What, which, what, what would that be? I mean... What... I'm lucky enough, Marv, Andrew, to have gone to many a playoff final. Shipley scoring the winner for Palace against West Ham under Ian Dowie at the Millennium Stadium. David Hopkins, it came off his shin, but who cares? Um, in the, I think it was 96 at the old Wembley against Sheffield United, I think. Um, no, actually, I'm, I'm wrong. He didn't come off his shin. I'm thinking about Steve Claridge the year before, who did come off his shin when Leicester beat us in the playoff final. David Hopkins was an amazing goal. Um, that was brilliant. I've had the highs and the lows. Um, and the ZDS final was incredible. All sorts of semi-finals. But the most memorable game, the best Palace game, and I would watch it again and again and again and again, is the 1990 FA Cup semi-final. I've mentioned it before when Palace beat Liverpool by four goals to three. And AL, Super Al, Super Al and Pardew, who was my first crush, um, and I have told him that. Um, and <laughs> genuinely, he was very taken back. Um, but then he flattered. Um, and then he went on to manage Palace, of course, and did rather well, took us to the cup final. But he he and that team, with the likes of Wright and Bright and Jeff Thomas and Nigel Martin and, and all the Pemberton and just all those, Andy Gray in midfield and John Salaka. I mean, just so many great players. Mm. And to do what they did against Liverpool, who were arguably even better then than Liverpool are today. And they'd lost 9-0 earlier in at Villa Park, when it was a sea of red and blue balloons, and the way the game went, the you know the way the scoring went, Pat, uh, uh, Liverpool went one up, and then it just went like that yeah. all the way through to extra time. And Cardiff, yeah, yeah, I mean it was one that it was the afternoon. I think it was Man United Oldham, which also ended three three that same day or the next day. It was an incredible FA Cup semi final weekend, and the underdog won. Pardew, the the least likely person to rise like a salmon. Um, and get that winner. That for me was the greatest Palace game. Unfortunately, it was a long time ago, but that was it. Excellent. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, um, thank you so much um, for your My Best 11, uh, Rebecca. It was fantastic to hear from you. Um, and fantastic team. It's great to see a Palace team and Palace fans. And as you say, people who don't always support um, the massive, well, you say the massive teams. We're both Luton fans on here, so we can say that happily. Um, but it's been great hearing from that. And thank you very much. And that was Rebecca Lowe's My Best 11. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, chap. Pleasure to be on. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, you can subscribe at My Best 11 Pod and leave us a five star rating. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at My Best 11 Pod. Email My Best 11 Pod at gmail.com.